Welcome to the Open Doors Live podcast, your window into what following Jesus looks like in some of the darkest places in the world. I'm your host, Jordan, and together we'll meet the persecuted church, gritty, courageous, passionate followers of Jesus from around the globe. We hope these stories remind you that God is doing wild and wonderful things around the world and that you can be a part of it. Hello and welcome to the Open Doors Live podcast. Uh, This is our Easter special, which is uh, very exciting. We are gathering together specifically to talk about Easter. And Easter is very special to us here at Open Doors. We're very committed to strengthening the body of Christ at Easter because Easter is a time of increased persecution. In the last six years, Palm Sunday and Easter services in Egypt, Sri Lanka and Indonesia have been bombed and it's actually simply for daring to proclaim the name of Jesus. So at Easter, we want to uh, remember the body of Christ, which was broken for us, Jesus, our Savior, who chose the cross. But so too, we also remember the global body of Christ, those members of our very own body who suffer the most. On this day in 2017, 45 Egyptian Christians were killed in a bomb attack during a Palm Sunday service. And this week, Christians in Egypt will pass through bomb checks and checkpoints on their way into church, knowing the risk they take. But they're willing to pay the price for the joy set before them, oneness with Jesus and with his body. But we believe that no Christian should have to suffer persecution alone. And this podcast, I've actually invited some of my very good friends and colleagues who traveled with me to Egypt last year. We have Mike Burrows here from New Zealand. He's one of our relationship managers in New Zealand. Hey, Mike, how are you? So good. So good to be here with you today, Jordan. (laughs) Amazing. We have Dave Myers, who's with us from Brizzy. G'day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> He's also one of our relationship managers. And then we have Joel, my colleague Joel, who takes care of our South Sydney region. Hey, Jordan. Great to be on here. Oh, it's so good to have you guys. And honestly, I just wanted to get together to reminisce on our time in Egypt, especially in light of our one with them moment and this moment that we, we have as a ministry where we gather around and we reflect on the increased persecution uh, at Easter time, we think of Egypt and the, the suffering that they faced around Easter. And I wanted to hear a little bit from you guys from our time in Egypt. I, I wanted to know when it was for each of you that one with them or this this catchphrase that we say that we repeat one with them or remember the body of Christ at Easter. When did that become real for each of you individually. So Mike, why don't you share with us um, just maybe a person that you met that really changed that for you? Yeah, I'd love to to begin. It was such an impacting time, just meeting uh, Christians, meeting believers in Egypt and, and hearing some of their stories. Uh, we did go into Al Botrasea Church. Uh, that was one of the, the first places we went into. And as we were there, we, we actually walked into the back door. And as we walked into the back door, we were told that we walked the path of a suicide bomber. 
Now, this bomber had walked into the, the back doors, and as he walked in, something immediately strange was noted about him. He turned to the right instead of turning to the, the left. Now, had he been a local member of that church, had he been a part of the congregation, he should have known that he should have turned to the left, which was the men's side of the church. So in this church, uh, the, the men sit on one side and the, and the women on the other. Now, because he went and turned to the, the women's side of the church, immediately one of the uh, leaders of the church recognized there was something wrong about him, walked up to him, and then seeing what was about to take place, wrapped his arms around the suicide bomber, pulled him to the ground, and the blast went off. And so we were there as a team just standing there. And, and what they had done is they put a black tile on the ground to indicate the blast site. And we were able to stand next to this blast tile and look around. And now they had repaired a, a lot of the church. It was a beautiful church. It stood for hundreds of years. and But some parts they left exposed. And we could see in the marble pillars the blast marks. Uh, we had a look around at the, the concrete walls and you could see the evidence of the impact. Now, on that particular day, 28 members of the church were killed, plus the two of them, so 30 people. Now, had that suicide bomber got closer to, to the front of the church, well, there are many more would, would have been killed. So this man sacrificed his life for the lives of so many. And really, the, the thing that really came home to me, apart from seeing the blast marks, was the man who was speaking with us was the twin brother of the man who had pulled this bomber to the ground. And so here we are, we're talking to a family member. Now we're all uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, but this is a, a, a family member to the extent that he is a twin brother of the man who gave his life. And so it was a privilege to talk with him, ask him questions. One of the questions we asked was, well, aren't you afraid to, to keep coming back to this church? And he was standing next to his friend and they looked at each other and smiled and turned back to the team and said, we're not afraid. This is what it means to be a Christian. And such an impacting statement. So really for me, just being there in that church, hearing that story and then being confronted with the fact this is what it means to be a Christian. For me, that really resonated that we need to stand one with them. Uh, because of the extreme impact of the the battle that that these people find themselves in. Wow. I mean, I was there and still hearing that story, it just brings the emotion right back. I remember running my hands over the marble pillars and feeling the indent of the ball bearings on the pillars and just thinking, these people come every day. They see these marks in the pillars and they still choose to show up. Do you remember how many people were there at the service the next day? Well, I do know that they continued to show up. In fact, the church was full so the very next day. They hadn't even cleaned up properly, uh, but the church was full of those remembering those who had died and uh, been killed for the, the sake of being sons and daughters of, of God the day before. And the, the, the man told us this. He said the church has been consistently more full since the blast than before the blast. And so it just shows that uh, really um, impacts and uh, attacks like this 
can't stop the growth of the, the church on, um, in Egypt. It's just incredible. And those believers will be showing up to that very church building this week as they celebrate their Easter service. Exactly. They, they will be there and really fearless, but, but standing for Jesus in, in that environment. Wow. It's just so incredible. Dave, is there a moment that particularly resonated with you that, that hit home why we actually stand one with them at Open Doors? Yeah, it was actually the same day, immediately after we'd been to El Botrisea Church, we went next door to an even bigger church, St. Mark's Cathedral, uh, a major major church in downtown Cairo, um, which is named after the uh, uh, evangelist Mark, uh, the one that wrote Mark's Gospel, who actually took the Gospel to Egypt and was also a martyr many, many years ago for sharing the Gospel of Christ. But we actually made our way, not just in the main part of the cathedral, but kind of into a back room, uh, not really on the tourist trail uh, of the average uh, tourist travelling through Egypt. And we went into a room called the Martyr's Hall, and it really was a confronting experience. Um, this hall consisted of multiple rooms uh, with hundreds of monuments. Uh, the, those that had been killed in the attack next door uh, at El Botrasia, uh, but hundreds of others, hundreds of ordinary people uh, with portraits on the wall, a quote about their life, uh, and a box with some keepsakes. And it really was haunting just walking around. And uh, we heard story after story of ordinary Christians who had recently paid the ultimate price uh, losing their life simply because they had their faith in Christ. Um, And yet of all those full boxes um, of monuments uh, set up to remember those whose lives had been lost, uh, the image that remained most vividly etched in my memory that day was actually coming around a corner and noticing a whole line of empty monument boxes and I remember thinking to myself why why were they empty and immediately realizing that they're empty because they know that there is more blood to be shed the expectation for followers of Jesus in Egypt is that one day your picture and your plaque may be displayed above one of those boxes ordinary followers of Jesus we're not talking about super Christians ordinary men ordinary women children Uh, who courageously are following after Jesus. Man, that is hard to imagine, isn't it? That that's just a reality, that that could be what you're called to. You could be called to give your life for the growth of the church. What did that do for your own faith, Dave, when you saw those empty monuments? What did that do for your own faith, Dave, when you saw those empty monument boxes when you were looking at those empty boxes what how how did that change your faith leaving Egypt and going home to to Brizzy I think about it all the time Um, maybe not every day certainly in the the month or two afterwards every day I think about that image but uh, it actually gives me courage to live this life and even courage to live confidently faith-filled courageously knowing that my brothers and sisters live with the reality that following Jesus could be an early death for them, and yet I think it actually helps us to truly believe the gospel of the victorious Christ who has indeed died on the cross, who was raised again, and our hope is a resurrection hope. 
And so our tombs, so to speak, will one day actually be empty because we will be raised physically. We will be with him. And, and so I guess their faith, their holding fast to Christ, even amid the threat of martyrdom, um, encourages me. Whether I'm about to face martyrdom or not, I want to give up my life for Jesus. I want to follow him wholeheartedly. And as we say at Open Doors, no matter the cost. I want to follow Jesus um, wherever that takes me and whatever that costs. Um, interestingly, at the, um, at the end of the trip, uh, we visited another church on our final full day uh, in Cairo, uh, the Hanging Church. You'd remember that was the, the third century church. I remember that one, yeah. And remember we noticed there was also a whole bunch of boxes in this church um, also containing actual bones of Christian martyrs. Yeah, they called them relics the, or yeah, something. The relics, yeah, the relics yeah. um, of Christian martyrs who'd lost their lives in the early centuries. And it was just this beautiful book bookend uh, to the whole week. We'd begun seeing these uh, empty boxes at the start of the week and we, uh, begun, and we finished the week uh, seeing these boxes. And our tour guide said something quite beautiful uh, about those boxes and about those monuments. He said this, these monuments are an assembly of Christ lovers. We're here to simply learn from them as we walk past their relics, we remember their faith and pray that we too will be courageous. Wow, what a reflection. Isn't that just the model of the persecuted church in general? You know, throughout history that us here in Australia, New Zealand or wherever we're listening to this podcast, we actually learn from very brave, courageous, passionate, this assembly of Christ lovers who have lived these courageous lives following Jesus and we get to become students really we get to learn from them and 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 have our own faith changed from that it's just an incredible story Dave and yeah talking about these stories is just bringing it right back I'm just yeah so glad to hear these stories from you guys today Joel um I mean You've had some incredible reflections from this. And I think because you and I work so closely together, we processed a lot of this stuff together. Uh, but there, there was something that you shared with me the other day that um, that that was almost a new reflection. It came after mm-hmm. six months of being home and processing and it just kind of yeah. leapt out of you. Would you be able to share that reflection with us? Yeah, I will. I mean, one of the some of the moments that really stood out when I really felt one with them was the ones that Mike and Dave shared but after, you're right, six months of coming back or a long time after coming back, I had this re- this moment of reflection as after we left the city of Cairo, we went south down the country. We visited various towns and villages across the alongside the, the River Nile. And there was this one particular monastery that we stopped at in it, and it had a fourth century church. Uh, and it was perched on a mountainside next to the Nile River. It had a beautiful view of the Nile River. Um, and this, this church, it was about midday, we arrived there in sweltering heat, and this church was packed with fervent worshippers, locals, and pilgrims, because this church and this spot was an area that many believed that Jesus and his own family passed through this location as they fled Israel um, and came into Egypt. Um, but despite the sweltering heat, the church was packed, and inside, I, I witnessed an unusual expression of Christian worship that it truly left an indelible mark on my personal faith. Uh, It was at the back of the church in a crevice in the stone wall. Uh, At the back of the church, people of all ages and genders, uh, with a palpable sense of desperation in their eyes, were scribbling notes filled with requests, prayers, and love letters to Jesus. 
and this practice was unfamiliar to me. Uh, and, but for these marginalized and persecuted believers, it was their chance to pour out their hearts to God in faith. And I mean, I left that church haunted by their desperate worship because I remember people of all ages, uh, elderly ladies going with tears in their eyes, putting these papers into the back wall of this church and young teenagers, girls, boys, everyone coming as families and and bringing their requests to God and experiencing their worship firsthand. It challenged me to pursue oneness with God with greater fervor and desperation. Uh, And it reminded me the power of our shared faith. And there are many reasons why I stand personally, Jordan, uh, in solidarity with the persecuted church. They're, they're an encouragement to us as much as we can be an encouragement to them. That's so true. Can you think of what the, I guess, equivalent would be for us in church? You know, I mean, yeah. it seems weird uh, for us maybe to be, you know, putting pieces of paper that have scribbled prayers on them into a into a rock as if that would you know somehow get us closer to God but can you think I mean how how does that even relate to our experience yeah that's what I love about the persecuted church because it makes you reflect on the diversity of the expressions of worships that we have across the Christian faith um, and and the spectrum of worship for me I think one one thing that personally I've seen in my local church is we write write prayer requests uh, at the back of the church and put them into this box which then people go in our prayer meetings and pray for and might go to a, a church past they might be assigned to. Um, that's probably the closest I've seen to it, but this just seems unusual because it was, it was such a strange expression that I almost doubted it at first, but then just to see their pure, genuine faith, the desperation in their eyes, it really, um, it, yeah, it struck something with me. Yeah. That is just incredible. And thinking about just the authenticity and desperation of their faith and uh, that, you know, whether they're entering through bomb checks to get into church, whether they're walking past empty monument boxes on their way into church, uh, whether they're, um, you know, running their hands over the the ball bearings, whether they're kneeling down and putting the prayer requests into the wall. Uh, There are incredible believers, this assembly of Christ lovers all around the world that this Easter uh, they're actually, it's really hard for them to, to follow Jesus. And um, I mean, how can people listening to this podcast or just the church in Australia, New Zealand, how can they actually stand one with them? Uh, how can they, even though, you know, maybe they can't get on a plane to Egypt, what does it mean for, um, you know, the, the average, you know, Kiwi or Aussie believer to actually stand one with our persecuted family this Easter? Three things uh, that Open Doors are encouraging churches and Christians to do are pray, partake and to partner. That's good. Pray is to unite with the suffering body of Christ in prayer. And So as you learn the stories of persecuted believers and we are always sharing stories at opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz Uh, You can read stories and please uh, pray for our brothers and sisters that they would stand firm in this season. Uh, Second is partake. Uh, That is take communion together and remember our oneness with Christ and with the global body of Christ. And even just conscious that as you uh, eat the bread and uh, drink the, the wine or drink the juice, uh, just being reminded of our global family that that we are together in this and that uh, for many even at Easter it's difficult to gather and it's dangerous to gather and they may not be able to gather in large groups uh, and so just being conscious of them as we share in communion. Uh, and then third and final is partner. 
uh, and that is by supporting uh, the persecuted church uh, through uh, emergency relief, uh, through even ongoing gifts, uh, and you can work that all out uh, via our websites as well. Uh, we'd love to encourage you, whether it's a one-off gift or ongoingly, uh, to partner with um, the body of Christ around the world. That's amazing. So, Dave, that was pray, partake, and partner. And if you listened to last week's podcast, you got to hear some of the impact of uh, what partnering is doing for the persecuted church, especially in in the Middle East right now. Uh, the the support that you guys have been able to raise is having a huge impact on our centers of hope, which is on the front lines of responding to this. Uh, earthquake situation which is going to be a long-term process Uh, but if you haven't listened to that podcast switch off this one right now hop back over to episode 81 you can hear Layla talk about the impact um, of what your support is doing on the field uh, in the Middle East and then you can flick back over to this one and it'll make more sense but uh, yeah we're just so uh, lucky to have incredible field partners who are making an incredible difference in in uh, places like the Middle East. And so when we send one with them, we're actually able to send uh, the relief and the support that believers need after they've faced persecution uh, in a a, a physical way. So we want to be able to support them through trauma care and counselling relief packages. In the Middle East right now, we have a goal to rebuild 2,600 houses actually physically rebuilding houses so it's a it's a huge project um and so that is what your one with them support is doing this year so you heard it from dave pray partake and partner and you can um, head to the open doors website either opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz to find out more and there are some resources for churches aren't there dave There are. You can uh, request a guidebook that will actually give you some resources to help you pray, uh, to help you even think about how to do communion in a way that remembers our brothers and sisters and to also uh, indicate how you can partner as well. Amazing. Will you pray for us, Dave, using that prayer from, from the Easter guidebook? I'd love to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are close to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. We remember the suffering body of Christ this Easter, those who share our faith but not our freedom. We pray you would draw near to those who face rejection, abuse, threats, and attack for your name this Easter. Would they feel your abounding peace beyond understanding, guarding their hearts and minds in this season? We pray for those who are grieving loved ones because of persecution. We lift to you those who will face an Easter without a family member or friend because of their love for you. Would they have the courage to keep following you no matter the cost? We pray that the persecuted church around the world would continue to live as a beacon of light and hope to a world in darkness. Help them continue to live loving, generous, courageous lives that show the world what you are like. We pray that this Easter is a reminder of your great love for them and the heavenly feast that awaits them, that the joy set before them would be oneness with you and eternity together. We pray for the persecutors, 
that your love would compel them to seek you and live. We pray against planned attacks, that you would convict the hearts of persecutors like you convicted Saul on the road to Damascus. We pray that you would continue to unite your global body around the world. You said the world would know what you were like by the way we loved one another. Help us to be a people of love, who love in word and deed. Give us creative ways to partner with the body of Christ around the world, especially those who suffer the most. We pray that you would deepen our communion with you, Lord Jesus, that we would know you more deeply, love you wholeheartedly, and be aware of your presence with us always. Give us the courage to keep following you, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, guys, thank you so much for joining me. It has been amazing to reflect on Egypt and uh, the fact that these believers are real. We met them, we touched them, we held them, we were in those places. And I think just repeating these stories is so important to to remember that it's it, that it's it's real. It's not theoretical, uh, and that standing one with them actually makes a real impact. So thank you so much for joining me on uh, on this week's podcast. Coming up next, I sat down with uh, one of our specialists into uh, the African continent. His name is Ilya. He has some incredible insight into the trends of persecution that are happening in sub-Saharan Africa. So I I chat with him. uh, So stick around and we're going to hear from his mind coming up next. Okay, so this episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into a region which stands out prominently in the World Watch List 2023. Now, the World Watch List is our index or list of the 50 most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. And Nigeria in sub-Saharan Africa is not only the seventh most dangerous place to be a Christian, but it's also the most violent country in the world to be a Christian. And we're seeing that trend of violence spread to surrounding countries like Mali, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria. Very alarming and disturbing trend. Now, to give us some specialist insight into this region and the trends that we're seeing, we have a very special guest with us, uh, joining us from London. Ilya, thank you so much for joining me on this month's episode of Open Doors Live. You are the Senior Analyst for Freedom of Religion and Belief in Africa for Open Doors. To begin, can you maybe just give us some insight into your history with the Persecutor Church and maybe how you ended up specializing in freedom of religion and belief in Africa? Uh, Thank you very much for having me, uh, for this opportunity to share a little bit about uh, um, the persecution issue, the pressure Christians are facing in sub-Saharan African uh, region. I'm originally from Niger Republic and uh, uh, Christians in the Niger Republic, my home country, form a tiny minority, about 1% of the population. So if you are a Christian in that region, you may feel face pressure on a daily basis, maybe without uh, sometimes noticing it. I can remember I was as little as 12 when first I, 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 I noticed this kind of uh, uh, issues. 
my classmates, my class uh, met um, in me why I am a Christian because the mindset is so that when you are a Nigerian from Niger Republic, you are supposed to be a Muslim. So they are they are shocked, they are surprised to see someone, and uh, I was shocked as well to discover that I'm different. And eventually, I ended up uh, defending my religion, uh, always justifying why I'm a Christian among all the others. So that's the daily reality. At the end of the day, I think I developed a sense of uh, um, defense or strong convictions, and uh, eventually to defend that uh, faith, my stronger, my religious conviction. So I think it has become, it was uh, like, uh, that's where it all started, and eventually, I did my training as a journalist, and I eventually ended up reporting about religion, persecution, all this issue affecting Christians in Niger, but also elsewhere. I did a career with the BBC World Service, but I left the BBC to join World Watch Monitor as the Africa Bureau Chief. World Watch Monitor um, uh, reporting about the persecution and the violence on the trend in, uh, in Africa, generally speaking. And eventually, for the last four years, I took that uh, role, which is focused on uh, defending or advocating for freedom of religion uh, in uh, general. Wow. It's amazing how you're history and your experience of persecution yourself even as a child and so young uh, has gone on to produce you've gone on to produce just an incredible body of work and and so much insight um into into freedom of religion and and persecution and um yeah so thank you for pursuing that and for uh taking that time and for the the incredible work that you produce i let you know earlier i i'm a big fan of your uh what you do produce and i've read many many of your articles and and learned so much from not only the stories you tell but the insights you give so very very grateful for that so Today, we wanted to talk about the results from the latest World Watch List from Open Doors, the World Watch List for 2023. And specifically, we wanted to focus on Sub-Saharan Africa. So before we dive into the report, I'd love for you to just paint a picture for us of what life is like for Christians living in this region. Well, Christians in Sub-Saharan Africa are under pressure increasingly. I, mainly from radical Islamic group or radical Islam uh, operating in this in this region. So specifically in areas like uh, the Central Sahel region, uh, in countries like Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, but also around the Lake Chad, Lake Chad Basin, where Boko Haram, known as Boko Haram, is active for years. And um, is affecting countries uh, like uh, Chad, uh, Cameroon, Niger, and uh, Nigeria. But we can see also this Islamic elsewhere across the African region in East Africa with the Somalia based Al Shabaab active in Somalia, but also in Kenya and elsewhere. And um, um, in Eastern DRC, so the Great Lakes region, so now Central Africa in Eastern DRC, we have an active on the ADF, Allied Democratic Force, operating there, attacking 
We may remember the um, recent uh, uh, church bombing in Eastern DRC, which uh, was attributed to that group. And more recently, in Southern African region, so in the northern province of Cabo Delgado in Mozambique, again, there's another active. So if you consider the geography and the typology of that violence, you will see that the violence, radical Islam is gaining ground and um, is present across the whole sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's hard to hear about uh, and it's hard to imagine what life is like uh, living in, in some of those regions with just that threat of violence. Um, and now we've received the latest results on what, what life is like for those Christians in the, these countries. And, and the picture is very discouraging. Countries such as Nigeria, which is sitting at number seven, Burkina Faso, which is 23, uh, Mali, which is number 17, and Nigeria, which is now 28, have all jumped in their placings from last year, which shows that the level of persecution has increased. Is that, uh, is that what you're seeing as well through your research, the, this increase? Well, the World Watch List, this index is a clear reflection uh, of uh, what is happening, uh, just uh, a, a glimpse of what is happening. Uh, because uh, um, in Nigeria alone, there's an explosion of violence. That's why we have this ranking in Nigeria, the pressure, the violence uh, affecting Christians. In some areas, attacks are happening almost on a daily basis. Some are reported by media, some not. So because of this uh, increasing uh, Islamic insurgency uh, in the or in sub-Saharan Africa, we have seen also a rise in terms of uh, intolerance. The way people are seeing their neighbors, their Christian neighbors, uh, the relationship has changed. That's a big issue. And because of all that, at the end of the day, your neighbor, for one reason or another, can turn against you only because you are a Christian. So that's the the big issue. Wow, I mean what a what a level of betrayal. I mean there's the fear on a violence level, but then there's also the day-to-day daily day-to-day -day anxiety of not knowing who to trust and I you know we have these numbers but behind every number in statistic is is a person and and their experience of following Jesus. Um and one of the most striking things about this report is this wave of violence that seems to be sweeping across sub-Saharan Africa. You just mentioned it. Um, in Nigeria, uh, we're seeing that Nigeria received the highest rating possible for the level of violence. And the research tells us that over five 5,000 Christians were killed for their faith uh, and almost another 5,000 abducted. No, those are huge numbers, uh, and both of those figures are an increase on last year. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is actually happening in Nigeria specifically for Christians? Well, when it, when it comes to uh, in Nigeria, uh, we should mention that there is an explosion. We observe an explosion of violence over the recent uh, years, two, three years. So we all uh, know about uh, the insurgency led by uh, the so-called Boko Haram in northeastern Nigeria since 2009, so for 14 years now. But in addition to that uh, violence, uh, 
uh, there's a different typology of violence in the northwest, sometimes uh, linked to banditry, criminal gang, while arm attacking community. But in the central Nigeria, the Nigeria Middle Belt, there's also this uh, um, Fulani militant attacking predominantly Christian communities. So that's why we have these uh, uh, figures, this uh, uh, in terms of uh, killing, in terms of uh, kidnapping, it's probably below what is happening on daily basis or what Nigeria or Christians are experiencing in Nigeria. We only, the World Watch list only managed to capture these figures, which is giving us an overview, just an illustration of what is happening on the ground. So the second wow. thing to, to, to mention also is uh, uh, um, this, uh, um, the easiness or the lack of protection, why people, how communities are exposed to this kind of level of violence for, for years, not only in the Northeast or in North. So insecurity, the lack of security has become a big issue in Nigeria today. Wow, that is devastating to hear that these numbers may not even, well, aren't the full picture. There's actually so much more even going on for people who are living in Nigeria than, than we know. Uh, and, and the actual level of violence may be even worse than, than what we're seeing. That's uh, devastating to hear uh, for numbers that are already so high. And, and, and as I mentioned, you know, all, all of these numbers, uh, all of those 5,000, uh, you know, abductions are individual people. They're someone's mother, father, daughter, son. And while we're speaking about Nigeria, I, I wanted to ask you to share with our listeners the story of Leah Sharibu. Uh, many supporters of Open Doors may be familiar with her story, while some may not. But as I speak with Ilya now, it's Friday, the 17th of February, and in two days' time, it will actually be the five-year anniversary since Leah Sharibu's kidnapping. You have been following a little bit of her journey, Ilya. Are you able to give our listeners just a bit of a summary of what has happened so far? Well, um, on 19 of, uh, um, February 2018, it was... Uh, supposed to be a normal day, and uh, Leah Sharibu went to school like others. But uh, unfortunately, um, the school was stormed by armed uh, men, uh, stormed the school, the school compound, and eventually kidnapped 110 school girls, including Leah Sharibu. So within a month, most of them were, all of them were released, but not uh, Leah Sharibu, because uh, they, they discovered she is a Christian and eventually um, she was asked to renounce her faith and faith to convert to Islam. So because she refused, she was eventually, uh, she eventually stayed. So that's uh, the uh, situation of Leah Sharibu. Because of this uh, decision for her to not to renounce to her faith, she's um, uh, detained, she's kidnapped now for uh, all these uh, years. So Leah is paying for her convictions. She is paying for a strong Christian uh, faith. And it's a clear illustration of what uh, it may look like to be a Christian uh, in Nigeria. Wow. What a incredible, incredibly brave and, and courageous young woman. How old is Leah Sharibu? 
the time of the kidnapping she was only 15 so for uh, all these uh, years you can see how many birthdays she spent in the bush uh, kidnapped and it's an agonizing um, very difficult uh, situation for the parents to see all these days these years and uh, still uh, waiting to sometimes just to hear some news from her uh, so that's the agonizing for her parents for her parents and the situation of Leah Sharif is a clear illustration of what is happening there are thousands of other Leah Sharibu in Nigeria. All these women, young girls, on their way to school, kidnapped, on their way to the marketplace, kidnapped at home, and detained by Boko Haram across, and other groups across Nigeria. They are in thousands. Wow, that that is really hard to hear. I mean, as a young woman myself, and, you know, I had a 16th birthday, a 17th birthday, an 18th birthday, uh, I was free uh, to do all of those things. Um, I have never once feared about um, being kidnapped or, or held hostage for my faith. So that is really um, heartbreaking and, and, and hard to hear. And, and honestly, for Christians living in Australia and New Zealand like me, uh, and honestly, for, for anyone, it's impossible to understand how groups like Boko Haram could operate in such inhumane and devastating ways. Can you give us a summary as to what motivates these groups and, and maybe why Christians are their target? Well, all the groups, uh, uh, Islamic group uh, operating in Nigeria and elsewhere have uh, one thing in common or many things in common, particularly this radical ideology. Uh, the interpretation, radical interpretation of the Quran. They all uh, stated clearly they want to establish uh, a caliphate, so an Islamic state, so to conquer and uh, rule uh, according to the Sharia law, the Islamic law. So because of that, uh, non-Muslims are very target, namely Christians. They would also attack, uh, so they will attack Christians because they are not Muslims. That's the first thing. They would also attack moderate Muslims who are not sharing this radical interpretation of the Quran and theology, Islamic theology. They would also attack uh, uh, schools. Uh, that's why we have this name Boko Haram, which uh, is uh, Arabic translation, literally translated, meaning school is banned or Western education is forbidden uh, because they would attack school because Schools are synonymous of Western education, Western civilization, Christian civilization. So we may remember the attack of this, uh, the kidnapping of Chibok girls. This is a clear illustration. Most of them are Christian from Christian family. They are Christians. So they would attack schools because of this. So that's the daily uh, reality behind this insurgency. Wow. So Boko Haram uh, literally translates to school is banned. Yeah. Wow. That's so why it... we have uh, dozens of schools in Nigeria and across the region uh, destroyed in a country like uh, Burkina Faso. Now we have more than 3,000 schools closed down or destroyed. 3,000. That is a, a shocking number of schools that are closed. Um 
man. So it, it really is a, a, a fight against, um, almost freedom of, of expression, freedom of thought, uh, not just for Christians, but as you mentioned, for moderate Muslims and uh, even for those who are wanting to pursue an education. It's alarming. Um, and as supporters of Open Doors, one of the passages that we cling to as, a, as an organization is, is 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And speaking about the body of Christ, Paul says, if one part suffers every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And yet, as we hear about the suffering of our African brothers and sisters in, in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, we question how we can actually suffer with them and share their burden. What can Christians in Australia and New Zealand do to help our persecuted brothers and sisters as they face these tremendous pressures and threats simply for being a follower of Jesus? And this verse is um, um, a good, uh, a stronger reminder of our Christian faith. When we live, if you live in a secure country, um, stable countries like in the West, UK or in Europe, in US, in New Zealand or Australia, it's very difficult to figure out, to get the full sense of this verse. But think about uh, when we hear this sad news, the bombing of that church in Eastern DRC. 14 people killed, dozens other uh, injured. Same day, uh, the same week in Nigeria, a Catholic priest burned alive. The church attacked or worshippers kidnapped in Nigeria, or else how do we feel? Do we have this sense of belonging to the same body of Christ? If we are in Australia, I don't know who, which part of the body we may represent, the legs. How do we feel if you have your fingers cut down or injured? You will feel the pain. Sometimes we will see the pictures, the headlines. We are shocked with a lot of evidence. And eventually, you will turn and pass on to something else. But this is the daily reality. Faith has a price. And the Christians living in that part of the world, in sub-Saharan Africa, they are paying the high price. So first, um, be aware of it, take note of it, and pray for that. Pray for these people who are paying the high price for their faith. It's not a crime to be a Christian. But people are to attack. They are killed, kidnapped, injured, and they have seen their properties destroyed. So pray for that and uh, eventually continue to support the ministry, supporting them, all the partners on the ground, providing uh, really need relief materials in terms of shelters, in terms of medicine, in terms of food, generally speaking, the basics. When people uh, are displaced, they, will, they are um, uh, traumatized and they, they will lose, lose everything. So they need everything to restart life from scratch, I would say. So that's the daily reality. Continue to support that and continue to raise awareness around us. Media are not reporting that. It's not making headlines. If one single Western citizen or Australian or New Zealand citizen is kidnapped or killed, media may, will make headlines on daily basis. But attack killings are happening in Nigeria, in DRC. They are not reported. They are forgotten crises. 
So let's try to raise awareness that something is happening. We should pay attention. We should also provide the really needed support. And we should also pressure on our policymakers in the West to put some level of pressure in Africa so that to provide protection for these uh, vulnerable communities. That is such good insight. And what you said about, you know, we see a headline and we sometimes become so desensitized to it that we just move on. Uh, but when some, when one part of your body hurts, your whole body feels it. I know um, I, I do a bit of running and when I'm running and my pinky toe is blistered, <laughs> my, I mean, it's hard to keep going, even though it's just my pinky toe because you know, uh, the, the, the pain, your whole body feels it and you, you, you respond to it and, and you do something about it. And so, um, I think this is such a good reminder that Paul gives us of our connect connectedness. It's so easy to feel disconnected, but to see the headline, to not let it bounce off, but actually to, to stop and lean in and to allow it to, uh, to 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 feel that pain and the 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 devastation of these things like Leah's story and and to respond in some way um, through prayer and through support and can you give us a bit of insight into what uh, Open Doors is actually doing to support Christians in this in this region? What does Open Doors work look like here? Kim across the region through local partners, local churches, local Christian organizations, uh, well-grounded organizations working there and uh, providing support to the victims of uh, these attacks. Uh, in terms of uh, relief materials, the basics, food, drinking water, medicine, but school, and uh, shelters, and uh, also trauma care, because it's a traumatic event, traumatic situation. People have seen different, all sorts of violence, uh, extreme violence, and they are traumatized. They need the trauma care. And uh, also uh, trainings, how to prepare the church uh, to face this persecution, to stand in the midst of this persecution, this attack, to remain firm in their faith despite the level of violence. That's what Opidus is doing. Wow. So both trauma care, so responding after persecution has happened, but also persecution preparedness training. So actually helping to prepare believers for what they may face. I mean, this, it is devastating that this is a reality for, for so many Christians and it's, and it's challenging to hear these stories, but but they're still largely from a distance. And I can imagine that it's challenging being immersed in a region that's facing so many challenges and threats against Christians. So how do you, in your own walk with God, Ilya, maintain hope amidst some of these challenging stories and statistics that we've, that we've talked about today? It's very difficult. And um, I can remember some of the questions I um, have to answer about the some of the supporters sometimes asking, why should we continue to pray? We have been praying for years and we can see the situation is only deteriorating. And we have seen this uh, index 
the world watch list in Nigeria and elsewhere. Why should we continue to pray? Is God still listening? I would say, yes, continue to pray. This is our responsibility when we are in Europe or elsewhere. That's the first thing to do. Continue to pray because God is active, even when we don't notice it, even if he's not responding according to our own will. God is still alive and responding. And uh, we can see when we are praying, miracles happening. I can tell the stories of these miracles happening every day. A glimpse of this light in the midst of this darkness, this trauma, this distressing uh, uh, situation. I can tell you the story of uh, these two travelers, two friends, fellow traveling, and eventually stopped by Islamists, stop and search. They checked, they found that one of them is a Christian, and another one is a Muslim. And eventually they asked him some questions and they found that he is not a good Muslim according to their own theory. They said they would rather kill him because he's not a good Muslim. The Christian friend or fellow traveler, a pastor, he said, why don't you kill me instead of him? Let him go. Don't kill him. So they were shocked to see someone offering his life for another one. And eventually, they let the two of them go. Wow. So I can share another story uh, in the Burkina Faso. 13 church leaders, pastors, coming back from a meeting, church meeting, on their way back home, arrested and uh, kidnapped, 13 of them. They were taken in the bush. They stayed for days. And eventually, the kidnappers, Islamists, they decided they brought back, they brought them back, eventually helped them to find their direction. So they went back home safely, 13 of them. Oh, my Sapping, goodness. I don't know. I can also, we have been talking, we just talked about Leah Sharibu. While she, Leah Sharibu was detained or still detained for all these years, Another long young lady called Jennifer was kidnapped and taken back to the bush by this Islam in the same area like Shelia Sharu. So she stayed for days and eventually they released her. She was not uh, 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 raped. She didn't face any violence. She came back safe and well sound. And eventually during her stay in the bush, she was in touch with other Christian girls kidnapped by Boko Haram that area, including uh, um, a nurse called Alice. She was able to bring a letter from Alice to her family. She heard about Leah Sharibu. She was able to bring a confirmation that Leah Sharibu is still alive. So she was in the bush like Leah Sharibu. She was released. Why is this kind of things happening? Why Leah Sharibu is still detained, but Jennifer was kidnapped and eventually released? I don't know. Keep praying. God is still in charge. He is about his church. And the, the Bible said, I will build my church despite persecution. And persecution is part of the daily lives of the Christian life, church lives. And we can see despite of this persecution level of violence across the Saharan Afri um, Sub-Saharan African region, the church is flourishing. That's the reality. Wow, I love what you said. 
why does it happen like this? I don't know. But keep praying because God is still in charge. Uh, that is profound. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed actually to hear that despite this violence that the church is still flourishing. And I'm reminded by what Paul said to Timothy, uh, his disciple, that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. That persecution isn't, isn't only, you know, a, a, a part of the Christian life that it, it's actually promised. And, uh, and these believers are just courageously living it out. And what an incredible example believers like this are for us, for believers like Leah, who continue to um, stick in, in their faith and continue to follow Jesus despite the cost. Um, even for you growing up and feeling the pressure from people around you, uh, but, but still choosing Jesus because he's worth it. Um, just before we wrap up, could you just share a little bit uh, about what Jesus means to you and why, uh, despite everything that you are hearing and, and despite the persecution that you yourself has faced, why is Jesus still worth it for you? When you are a Christian, um from sub-Saharan African region in Niger or elsewhere, you have made a choice and uh, you will face the consequence. You know the consequence. So you say you need to have a strong conviction. So whether you are or you are not. So it's a choice. And uh, despite the pressure, the persecution, um, people, uh, there's no turning back because in some areas, uh, let's say going to the church on a Sunday is just like traveling with a one-way ticket. Knowing that people may be kidnapped or killed, the church bombed or something like this, but they would go. So that's where we are in that um, part of the continent in Sub-Saharan Africa and Sahel in Northern Nigeria. The pressure is there, but it's a choice, and uh, the conviction is there. So for me, let's pray for this Christian living there to continue to remain firm in their faith, to become more resilient, to stand in the midst of this uh, violence. It's a choice. Uh, you can see, despite the violence in northeastern Nigeria, how many um, properties were destroyed, how many people were killed in thousands, displaced, but they are still there. The, the church is not destroyed, uh, totally destroyed. So there's a strong conviction, strong determination. Faith has a cost, and uh, I would say Christian living there are ready to pay the price. Wow, faith has a cost, but they're willing to pay the price. On that note, um, Ilya, will you pray? Uh, for that region of, of sub-Saharan Africa, will you lead uh, us and, and our listeners in prayer um, today? Sure. Heavenly Father, we want to bring to you our brethren, our sisters and um, sub-Saharan Africa who are facing pressure, persecution on daily basis. Uh, we want, Lord, um, pray for uh, protection for these uh, persecuted Christians. We want, Lord, uh, to pray for Leah Sharibu, for their parents who are still waiting, hoping, who have faith in you, Lord, 
they will one day or another uh, Lord see their daughter back uh, to death. We pray for all these uh, kidnapped and detained women across uh, sub-Saharan African region. We pray for that church to remain strong, to remain firm in the midst of this violence and persecution. Thank you, Lord, for all the supporters, for all who are listening, praying and supporting the persecuted ones elsewhere in Africa. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ilya, thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you. Uh, and we just really appreciate you sharing uh, that insight and wisdom and uh, and beautiful reflection on faith and life with us. So um, on behalf of the team at Open Doors and all of the Open Doors Live listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your time. God bless. Thanks, Ilya. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, your window into what following Jesus looks like in some of the darkest places in the world. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information on our work, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz.